Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey friends and neighbors, you're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 25, Sedatives. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. Have you heard about the latest best drug developed? that will make you fall asleep fast, stay asleep all night, and wake up feeling refreshed the next day? In this week's episode, I'll be reviewing the topic of quote-unquote sleep drugs and the fantasy of getting a good night's rest from a pill. There is a large variety of substances used to try to induce sleep. This episode is not meant to be an in-depth analysis of each specific drug or class, but some of you have been wondering why I don't seem to be talking more about sleep aids or sleeping pills or the best drug to help you sleep. And the simple answer is, because they don't exist. Bottom line, there has never been a safe and effective drug to help people sleep. Let me repeat, there has never been a safe and effective drug to make you sleep. There are certainly some recently developed medications that appear much safer than their predecessors, but to call them more effective than taking nothing is only barely a mathematical truth and not a qualitative one. And we'll get into that in a moment but the overwhelming majority of pills people take to try to induce or maintain sleep are quite harmful. And it appears the main mechanism of that harm is not some direct drug effect, but precisely because of the distortion and the loss of normal sleep caused by these chemical disruptors. There are many over-the-counter formulations of these faux elixirs, and because most OTC substances don't fall under the jurisdiction of the Food and Drug Administration, there is zero regulation, including even requiring that the ingredients be listed. For the most part, however, OTC versions of sleeping pills contain either melatonin or antihistamines. And apart from the, you really have no idea what you're actually taking argument, even with the baseless assumption that you are taking whatever is listed on the label, neither of these substances, melatonin and antihistamines, helps insomnia. Flat out, they just don't work. Melatonin is a clock hormone, not a sleep drug, and taking concentrations that are orders of magnitude larger than what your body uses to keep time is not without risk. Furthermore, despite lots of efforts to prove otherwise, melatonin has been shown repeatedly and consistently to not help insomnia. As far as antihistamines, again we come back to the same notion of confusing sedation with sleep, as we explored extensively with alcohol in episode 15. Blocking histamine and blocking acetylcholine from these same drugs, another major neurotransmitter in the brain, this not only doesn't cause sleep, but subsequently prevents normal sleep by eliminating the normal increase and decrease of these various chemical signals in the brain. The significant harms of using antihistamines for sleep we can explore another day, but the Cliff Notes version is that they significantly increase the risk of dementia, 
precisely because of the interference in and loss of normal sleep. Prescription drugs fall into a few categories. The most commonly prescribed medication for sleep is actually off-label, meaning no drug maker has submitted data to the FDA indicating that the medication is safe and effective by minimal and laughable criteria for any sleep indication. The most common medication prescribed for sleep is something called trazodone, which is an older antidepressant that can be quite sedating. Again, we run into the same confusion among prescribing physicians who cannot seem to appreciate the significant difference between sedation and sleep. Objective data shows no significant improvement in time to fall asleep or total sleep, with a significant shift away from high-quality REM and slow-wave sleep into primarily light and moderate sleep instead. And following a night of trazodone, users on average rate their subjective sleep quality lower compared to taking nothing at all in a placebo. Another older sedating antidepressant often prescribed for sleep is something called doxepin, which has similar anticholinergic and antihistamine properties to several of the OTC substances. A meta-analysis included in the 2017 American Academy of Sleep Medicine Practice Guidelines for Insomnia demonstrates that using data from four industry-sponsored trials, and all the bias that that entails, the doxepin only made subjects fall asleep 2.3 minutes sooner. 2.3 minutes. That's it. And while total sleep time was a little longer under the influence of the drug, subjects actually woke up more often across the night. And despite how pathetic all that sounds, the difference was statistically sound enough that the FDA gave approval for its use in insomnia. The newest family of sleeping pills are known as dual orexin antagonists. The first of which is Suvorexant, sold under a brand name Belsamra, and a second Me Too drug called Lumborexant, which was recently approved by the FDA. The trial that got Suvorexant approved, sponsored by the drug company and all the biocide entails, demonstrated that Suvorexant at standard dosing helps subjects fall asleep a whopping 2.3 minutes faster than placebo. Really, 2.3 minutes, same as doxpin, same pathetic, minuscule, meaningless amount. And at the highest dose of Suvorexant, subjects achieved only 10.6 minutes more of sleep across the entire night. That's it, 10 minutes. Now, this finding was significantly different enough from getting nothing in a placebo that the FDA awarded it approval. But really, not even two and a half minutes faster to fall asleep and nothing but ten and a half minutes of total sleep more across the entire night? How is that remotely worth it? Now, while the Erexin antagonists basically don't work to make any meaningful impact in insomnia, at least they are safe as far as we can tell, or at the very least, not dangerous like the next category of drugs. The largest classes of drugs used for sleep are known as benzodiazepines and benzodiazepine receptor agonists, collectively known as sedative hypnotics. Think about that name. They're not magical sleep inducers, not the sleepy snooze makers, but sedative, again, not the same thing as sleep, and hypnotic, like being in a trance you don't remember, like an unaware volunteer being hypnotized into doing the chicken dance and howling like a wolf in front of an audience with no recollection of the sheer embarrassment afterwards. Sedative hypnotics. Hmm. The benzo family includes drugs like Valium and Xanax, and the benzodiazepine receptor agonists, or BZRAs. This family includes drugs like Zolpidem, known as Ambien, Zaloplon, known as Sonata, and Azopaclone, sold as Lunesta. Because these generic names, the BZRAs are often referred to as the Z drugs. Zolpidem, the most commonly used drug for sleep in these two classes, is entirely unimpressive. Meta-analyses primarily of industry-sponsored trials, and all the bias that entails, demonstrate that with Zolpidem, 
subjects fall asleep about 5 minutes sooner, and up to 12 minutes sooner in some populations. 5 to 12 minutes. That's it. So again, when it takes an average insomniac about an hour to fall asleep, and after taking a drug like Ambien, it takes, wait for it, 55 minutes? Seriously? How is that remotely worth it? I mean, that's still basically an hour. What is the point of that? Now, one of the main chemical effects of both benzodiazepines and these drugs that mimic that chemical, these benzodiazepine receptor agonists, or the BZRAs, one of the main effects of the activation of the benzoreceptor in the brain, in addition to sedation, is amnesia. So individuals under the influence of these drugs lack the effective capacity to even appreciate how much the drug failed to work. And it's not like these drugs are safe. Far from it. According to the WHO, Motor vehicle accidents were the ninth leading cause of death across the world in the decade from 2002 to 2012. 11.2% of drivers killed in Canada in that decade tested positive for these sedative hypnotics post-mortem. One out of nine. Studies demonstrate that driving impairment is 160% higher when there are the faintest traces of sedative hypnotics in one's blood. And driving impairment is 375% worse when mild to moderate blood levels are detected. Drivers with any trace of sedative hypnotics in their systems are 40% more likely to be at fault when involved in a motor vehicle crash, and they are 2.3 times more likely to end up in a motor vehicle crash that results in a fatality. One of the shorter-acting drugs in the sedative hypnotic class, where some drugs literally take weeks for a single dose to be fully cleared, Zopiclone significantly affects next-day driving. A pooled analysis of four different studies demonstrated severe driving impairment 11 hours after the dose. Think of the next morning commute after a night when the medication was taken. The drug more than doubled the risk of severe driving impairment, equivalent to the effect of a 120-pound woman who just rapidly kicked back three shots of tequila. And this again is 11 hours after the drug was taken. Not even including the large number of individuals reporting activities of sleep driving, which prompted the FDA to add a black box warning, Zolpidem has been shown to significantly impair one's ability to stay within the lane, to maintain speed, and to maintain alertness among healthy drivers the day after taking a dose. In fact, the International Council on Alcohol, Drugs, and Traffic Safety has classified 22 benzodiazepines and Lunesta as causing severe driving impairment, plus another 9 benzodiazepines and all the other BZRAs, including Ambien and Sonata, as causing at least moderate driving impairment at any point and severe impairment of driving when taken within 10 hours. Studies of healthy volunteers demonstrate that the day after taking a BZRA, cognition is significantly impaired. Specifically, declarative memory and procedural memory are significantly worse after taking Zolpidem and Zaloplon, and this effect was primarily driven by the loss of normal sleep. The more that these drugs block these otherwise healthy individuals' ability to achieve REM sleep, and the greater percentage of light sleep instead, the worse their memory. Among survivors of traumatic brain injury, who are already more likely to suffer long-term disability from cognitive impairment, including dementia, these sedative hypnotics are even more devastating. A study of around 6,000 TBI patients followed for an average of 7 years found that after controlling for other risk factors, the use of sedative hypnotics increased the risk for dementia by 3.98-fold compared to TBI patients not taking these drugs. And yes, having insomnia was looked at, and simply suffering insomnia was not associated with any risk for dementia. Only those taking these sedatives experience that risk, a quadrupling of the likelihood of getting dementia. 
A meta-analysis of 13 studies demonstrated that the use of benzodiazepines is associated with reductions in 12 out of 12 different cognitive domains. And 9 out of 10 observational studies demonstrated a significantly higher rate of dementia among benzodiazepine users. One systematic review and meta-analysis of eight different studies demonstrated that after accounting for other potential risk factors, that individuals with a history of benzodiazepine use are 78% more likely to develop dementia compared to non-users. Another meta-analysis of six studies demonstrated that any lifetime exposure to a benzo, no matter what dose or for how long, any exposure to a benzo increased the lifetime risk of dementia by 49%. And more limited recent data demonstrates similar relationship between the BZRAs and dementia risk. For instance, an analysis of over 70,000 patients over the age of 65 screened for the prescription of Zolpidem in year one and the subsequent diagnosis of Alzheimer's dementia over the next six years, controlling for other risk factors like age, gender, and matching them to controls. Any use of Zolpidem for seven days only increased the risk for Alzheimer's disease by 35%. Let me say that again. One week of Ambien, just seven days of Zolpidem, was associated with a 35% increased likelihood of developing Alzheimer's dementia over the next six years. And individuals who used Zolpidem for six months had tripled the risk for developing Alzheimer's compared to controls. A separate study looked at the prescription history of over 70,000 older adults that already had a history of cognitive impairment over a seven-year period. They found that compared to a control group matched for risk factors, the use of any sedative hypnotic by those with impaired cognition was associated with a 40% greater likelihood of death in the next six months after that first dose compared to the cognitively impaired not exposed to a sedative. Let me say that again. Not only do these so-called sleeping drugs dramatically increase the likelihood of ending up with dementia, they also increase the risk of death, 40% higher risk of mortality within six months after taking a dose of a sedative hypnotic. So to summarize, again, this is not an exhaustive list of drugs that people take, prescribed or otherwise, for their sleep. And it's certainly not a comprehensive list of all the effects, especially the bad ones, associated with the use of these drugs. But the reason why you hear me emphasizing over and over things like your schedule, behaviors, routines, thought patterns, is because interventions in those areas consistently and effectively improve and often resolve sleep trouble. That's why the prime recommendations and guidelines from the American College of Physicians, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, all involve, first and foremost, non-drug therapy. And even in the guidelines discussing the weak at best evidence in pharmacological interventions, that non-drug strategies should always be employed, both because they work better and because they also work to help people get off of these harmful substances. There are no safe and effective sleeping pills. Even the newest drugs in the battle against insomnia come with adverse effects, just not horrible ones. And how is that minimal risk balanced? By falling asleep only 2.3 minutes faster. And what about older alternatives? Well, how does five minutes faster sound? To say that's outrageous is beyond understated. Because not only do these drugs not substantially help sleep, but they significantly distort sleep. By reducing deep sleep and REM sleep, quality is sacrificed completely for laughable increases in quantity of just a few minutes. And the cost? Significant next-day impairment in cognition, reaction time, driving ability. More than double the likelihood of ending up in a car accident. more likely to be at fault when involved in a car accident, and more than twice as likely that the user or some other innocent will be killed in said car accident. And your future is sacrificed. Dramatic increases in the risk of the most devastating chronic disease we've ever encountered, Alzheimer's dementia, currently without any cure or effective treatment. Even just one week of sleeping pills increases the risk of this horrible disease by more than a third, and when used for six months, 
that risk for Alzheimer's is tripled. Not only that, risk for mortality is higher. We didn't even touch on the data of these sedatives and the risk for infections, falls, bone fractures, pneumonia, hospitalization, and more. Bottom line, there is no safe and effective sleeping pill. And there is no shortage of ineffective and extremely harmful drugs that don't just disturb the normal process of sleep, but come at the highest cost, the quality and the quantity of your life. Got a little handout for you. So if you head over to wellrestedmd.com day, you can get a free cheat sheet to a day in the life of the well-rested, including some specific non-drug practices to get that good snooze. That's wellrestedmd.com day. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave us a review and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.